and he's telling them this story. This, the story reveals the identity of Jesus. If you look before this in the book of Matthew, you have kind of that whole list of genealogy. I wonder sometimes if that's why we don't use this as our Christmas story. Because it has those, the genealogy that are in groups of 14, which is two times a group of seven. There's a whole formula for it. And I think that sometimes we get bogged down in that. But one of the things that Matthew is really intent on is talking about the identity of Jesus, Jesus as the Messiah. So if you're wondering why that's important that that's in there, that spells out in a very direct way who Jesus is. And then after that genealogy, then he goes into the story of, of obedience, of Christmas, of all of those things together. So this story talks about kind of a, a credential, a credential of Jesus. Um, there are lots of groups that had birth stories, but very few that talked about the mother of the person being a virgin, establishing that, um, that, that Joseph, in fact, was not the biological father of Jesus, but was, what would we call it, a stepdad? One who, who stepped up to, to raise Jesus. So when we look at this relationship between Mary and Joseph, there's a couple of things that are important to, to point out. They were betrothed, engaged, but not yet fully married. And part of that culture was that neither party would have relations with anyone outside or even within that relationship. And so um, when we look at uh, one of the laws in Deuteronomy 22, 23 through 27, it talks about what happens to a woman if she is found to be unfaithful in that kind of relationship. So um, Mary could be tried publicly and then executed. Joseph didn't choose to do that. He, in his mind, had decided to dismiss her quietly. Dismiss was another way of saying, in that culture, divorce quietly. He wanted to avoid the public humiliation while at the same time fulfilling the law, he couldn't, where he was at that point, in his integrity, continue with this relationship. But along came, you guessed it, an angel, who points out that Mary's pregnancy is the work of the Spirit. The angel tells Joseph to embrace his role as Mary's husband. Joseph responds positively to that um, I was going to say request, but it was more than a request, maybe um, demand. And he do that. I think it's important to note that as we look at this story, we often have it in 
you know, we tell the story of Mary and Joseph and the angels and all that with, with dim lights and candle lights and singing and, and all of those things. But, you know, really, there was some heartache in that story. know we forget that because we think that that this is just a beautiful thing and Jesus never cried and or never had his diaper changed or or any of those things and and Mary and Joseph were just this romantic couple but really there was heartache Mary had to accept how the world would see her and Joseph had to make some decisions that were probably heart-wrenching. We're not told about that conversation when Mary told him or when they talked about having this baby. We hear about the angel, but we don't talk about what went in interpersonally for them. In some ways, that is the miracle, that they were in this place of heartache, they were in this place of harshness, that they were in this place of chaos. And yet they chose love. They chose to go through with it. They chose to support each other. In this world that they lived in, Joseph and Mary would have had an engagement that was not a romantic declaration of intent. It was a legal contract, binding in every respect to be engaged, betrothed or pledged, we essentially, was essentially to be married but not having consummated the marriage. There would be this contract, legal contract that was agreed upon, we would say in our world, signed, and it was legally binding. There would be money exchanged. The, the bride's father would, would accept a dowry for the bride. There would be money that was, do you see that part of this story that we don't ever hear about? So Joseph could have publicly declared that he was the injured party here Mary would have been stoned, or he could have divorced her. But again, she would have been a marked woman at that point. If she wasn't stoned, she would surely have been an outcast. It's hard to imagine what this couple would have gone through at this time. This narrative in Matthew is really from Joseph's perspective, so we don't hear a lot about what Mary was thinking or feeling. But you can imagine how difficult that might have been. I think it's interesting that an angel came to Joseph. Angels, if you read in the the Bible in different places, angels come only when there's heavy lifting to do, only when there's something that really needs to, to be talked about. Um, but the angel comes, the angel talks to Joseph, 
and things change. This isn't a, you know, a celebration with one baby shower after another. It isn't any of those things. However, there is peace. There is a decision in here to live life in a different way, even in the midst of chaos. And I tell you, we can relate to chaos. All we have to do is think about the last two years, and we know what chaos is. We know what loss is. These are two people in a time that could have gone really bad. Yet, they chose to live a different life, and that different life has impact on us today, correct? Back to the story. Mary would have been 13 or 14. At the outside, she might have been 16. Joseph would have been a little bit older. They would have been second or third cousins because of that family lineage that we're looking at. Um, they had this serious engagement and then this thing happened. In this world, even though they were just engaged, they would have been called um, husband and wife or spouses, they, you know, to put it in the more um, today language, that they would have been houses, spouses. They would have been engaged by standing in front of two witnesses. The man would give the woman a present. Her father would pay the dowry. I had it backwards earlier. If the man died, she would be a widow. If the woman died, he would be a widower. If the engagement broke up, it would be called a divorce. This was a really serious thing. If the woman became pregnant by another man, she could be put to death. And that's when the angel appears. We're told in the passage today that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a good man, a kind man, an honorable man. And he decided that he was going to divorce her quietly. Not tell her parents, not tell his parents, not tell the Jewish rabbi, not tell the Jewish court so he could get his money back. So the first part of this story, the story is first and foremost a story of a compassion, a story of grace, a story of a man who had been wronged by the world's view. And he chose compassion. And he chose grace. And he chose to care for her and take care of her. Obedience on his part was to say yes to this young woman carrying this child. There's obedience sprinkled through the gospel story, whether it's this at Christmas or other things, 
you know, the story of the good shepherd, what do the sheep need to do? They need to listen to the voice of the shepherd. Other places in the gospel story, there's some obedience in there. Following the voice leads to life. And then remember that story of the vine and the branches where they're talking about abiding? Abide in me and I in you. Is that obedience? Is that saying yes? God's people are invited to abide in God. Abiding is an action word. It's an obedience word. It takes intention and obeying to abide. And that kind of thing leads to life. It's not as simple as keeping my gas tank above a quarter of a tank. Not at all. But that abiding, that obedience that calls us into relationship with our God and with each other. That abiding is the kind of obedience that gives us life. Obedience, my friends, requires courage. At a time when God's people were in need of courage and were feeling alone in an uncertain world, Isaiah wrote these words, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, a young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us, who called them into being an obedient people, also promised to be a very present help in that obedience. A help for them in times of trouble, if only they had eyes to see and ears to hear. Consider for a moment these questions as we kind of wrap up this fourth Sunday of Advent when we're on the cusp of Christmas. Consider these questions. What signs in these weeks of Advent point you to the presence of God in your life? What points you to that presence? Where have you seen God with us in the past week? And how could you point someone you love towards God with us before the end of the day today? Laura, I'm thinking about the family that we've adopted, the family that we embraced and cared for this season. And I'm wondering, Laura, if you would agree with me that we were God with us for that family. We showed them that we care in a time that was really difficult for them. You see, because obedience isn't a grandiose thing where it's this or that, obey or punish in God's world. It's not like that. It's obey, and I will bring you a fuller life. Obey, and my life will shine on you. And I wish that in our world today, when we say obey, I don't, I didn't cringe as I did as a child when I was told I had to obey. 
or once in a while I'll hear my grand my children tell my grandchildren you need to obey and I just kind of do that but but I want us to reframe the idea of obedience I want us to reframe it and make it something that's a positive because it is as we enter into this final week toward Christmas our obedience can be a beautiful thing. You see, my friends, obedience is just living life in the Spirit, doing those things that we're prompted to do, loving the people God puts before us. being God with us every step that we take obedience is an action word so do that share light share love okay. amen